crisis. Morning. morning, thank you. Morning. Right, this morning, um, Adrian and I are going to be talking about Genesis and how that uh, reveals home to us. And we're specifically looking at our value, which I'm going to speak about, and our identity, which Adrian will come on to. Um, Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 answer all kinds of questions, including who am I and why am I here? Uh, before I get into the talk this morning, though, I just want to share this with you. Um, recently, I was at a sort of birthday gathering uh, for a friend of my daughter, Becky. She was having her 13th birthday. Whilst the girls were busy, um, I was able to chat to the mum. I'd only met her really briefly once before. And uh, so the obvious questions, what do you do and what does your husband do, came up. So I said, oh, you know, Adrian needs a church. She's a lovely, lovely Hindu lady. She was so impressed. She said, wow, he's a man of God. And then she said, uh, I work at a Catholic school, and whenever the priest comes in, um, I'm, I'm silenced by the presence of God on this man. Is that how it is with you and your husband? <laughs> <laughs> so I said, um, you haven't met Adrian, have you? <laughs> in all seriousness, though, sometimes I am awestruck when I hear Adrian. Uh, because I do think that he has grasped so fully, or so much more fully than me anyway, the profound truth that he is, as we all are, completely loved. Adrian always points me back to Christ, and he seems to know that no matter how messy or complicated a situation is, everything we deal with in life ultimately has to surrender to the overwhelming Amen. love of God. Amen. So... Just a moment of silence. <laughs> Before we dive back into scripture, I want to remind us of the core word we've been using for this series, which is home. I like poetry and I like mnemonics. And as I was preparing for today, I wanted to write one for the word home. Unfortunately, what I came up with didn't quite spell home, but I've sort of manipulated it a bit. So I think that's on the next slide. There we go. So it, it, it kind of more spelled hakem, which sounds a bit sort of Hebrew, but it's not. It's home. So... Um, as we go back into scripture, what the Lord has created for us in Genesis 1 and 2 is a place where we are honoured, known, embraced, and made whole. And I wanted to add to that, we're honoured, you matter, we're known, you're safe here with God, you're embraced, you're loved, and you're made whole. You and I are constantly being restored by him. So we want to start today by extending that invitation to you to turn up, yes, here now on Sunday morning, but at all points in life, to arrive knowing that you matter, you're loved, you can be restored, you're safe, wherever you are, whatever you're carrying around with you, you are loved and you belong. We know that in Christ, all are welcome. And so I'd like to say, along with our Father, who's been putting together our strange human race since the beginning of Genesis, welcome home. Okay, let's dive into scripture then. So we're just going to focus in uh, on a, a little bit of uh, Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, looking very specifically um, at what God was up to creating humanity. Um, Genesis 1 shows us that a powerful being has created the whole universe, and Genesis 2 shows that we're the pinnacle of that creation, fashioned intimately by a personal God. Last week, Mike spoke brilliantly about our relationships Richard spoken brilliantly about Sabbath. I didn't hear Adrian's talk. I'm sure it was brilliant. I think it was another one. Um, and today we're going to just zone in on these few verses to look at who are we and what we're doing here. So I've highlighted 
um, some words in colour, and we'll come back to look at those specifically in a minute. <clears throat> Let me just continue to introduce what I'm saying by saying this. If we only look at culture, we could easily be misled into thinking the answer to the question, who am I and what am I doing here, lies inside ourselves. From kind of self-help books to um, YouTube influencers, we're bombarded with the idea that you define who you are, unleash your true self, make your life what you want it to be. And yet, social media shows us that it's in our very core to look outside ourselves for value. Who doesn't want more likes and more retweets? Um, who doesn't look to leaders or even celebrities for validation? We're all looking outside ourselves. And Genesis shows us that the, the one outside us who defines us is our designer, God. Our value comes from him. So knowing who I am starts with knowing who he is. And I just want to recommend a book. Oh, hang on, someone's got it. Tom's got it, I think. Yes. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to ask Tom to randomly give that to a lady in a minute. This book uh, by Rachel Gardner, not the Rachel Gardner who's part of our church, but a, a different Rachel Gardner, um, is specifically for women. Sorry, guys. Um, it's called The Girl Deconstruction Project. And under the broad headings, body, mind, soul, and strength, she takes apart what culture says to us about what it means to be a woman. Um, and then she encouraged us to reconstruct ourselves around the truth of who God says we are. As she writes, knowing who you are doesn't start with you. It starts with the God who created you and is more attentive to your needs than you could possibly imagine. With that thought in mind, and hopefully someone has now received that as a gift. There you go. <laughs> Enjoy. Um, and do, do get this if you can. Um, if you're aged under 18, chapter 2 does mention sex. So just, you know, maybe don't read it. Okay, anyway, with all that huge introduction in mind, let's leap, let's leap into um, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, 27, I want to look at first. So verse, tw uh, oh, okay, I'll read the whole thing. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them, very important pronoun, I'm very excited about that, we're coming back to that, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them, and God blessed them. We'll get to them. Let's talk about image and likeness. The writer of Genesis encourages us to find the answer to the question of our identity and our origin, that we have been designed and created. Look at verse 27. Creators repeated there three times. Why? To show us that you and I are here on purpose by design. Not by accident, not because of a human decision, but because the divine, the creator of all, the vast and infinite one who's stretched out the whole universe says, I knit you together in your mother's womb. Let's look at the two verses together. Image is also repeated three times. It's there in a nice sort of purple color. Um, I think that Glenn is going to be touching a bit on this next week on how these verses impact how we live. So I don't want to steal his thunder. But I think because it's repeated, it's worth mentioning. In his image and in his likeness have hundreds of possible ramifications. Let me just mention this. At the time that the Genesis stories were pulled together, in culture, generally Egyptian, Mesopotamian society, that phrase, the image of God, was only used to talk about the king, the royalty. So this phrase would have suggested to the original hearers in Genesis, okay, 
mankind, we're royalty. We're seen as part of the royal family. All of us, all of humanity is royal. Leaping forward into the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 4 refers to Christ as the image of God. Elsewhere, Christ is the reflection, the one who bears the very stamp of God's nature. Christ shares in God's essence. It doesn't just mean that we look a bit like God. The glorious truth found right here at the beginning is that we're made in the image of God. We're invited through Christ to actually become like him. A chosen people, a royal priesthood, not because of anything we bring, but simply because of who he says we are. Finally, from this verse, I just want to mention this pronoun them, which, as I said, I got very excited about. Male and female, he created them, means that both are needed to reveal who he is. What in the past would have been considered stereotypically male attributes or stereotypically female attributes all show us something about who God is. In Britain, in 2019, our culture is releasing and freeing. We no longer have to be constrained by typical male or female behaviour and expectations. That's good news for me. As some of you already know, I'm a really terrible cook, so I never fitted into that female stereotype. But it's also confusing for us because gender expression has become varied and fluid. Gender identity now isn't necessarily binary. Um, my children have been taught in PSHE at school that gender is fluid, and there's male and female, and you can choose where you are somewhere on that. Um, some European countries, you can choose X for your gender on your passport if you don't want to be male or female. So that's all linked in with um, changing ideas about, about sexuality. And there's this huge deconstruction of what does it mean to be human. But the problem is, if we don't understand that we were designed, we're just left in a mess and a state of confusion. The beauty of this verse, male and female, he created them, is that whatever you make of all that confusion in society, wherever we might find ourselves, the message is that all of us, Wherever you might fall, male or female or somewhere in the middle trying to figure it out just now, you have been created by God in his image. And we need the unique expression of who he is that only you bring to understand the fullness of who he is. The pronoun them in this verse is vital. It shows that we need both to express the divine. And to my mind, them also means all of us and all of everyone in humanity ever because God is so vast that all of the billions of humans ever aren't enough to express the fullness of who he, who he is. Every new human offers a new insight into who God is. And that, my friends, includes you. Genesis chapter 1 also reminds us of the value of every individual we encounter, no matter how complicated their situation seems. I just want to share briefly a story about um, a pupil I worked with. Um, at this point, I was working as a teacher. I was asked to take over a, a group of year 11 pupils who were quite troubled. They needed a lot of input in terms of academic work. Bearing in mind most of them were 16, one lad couldn't spell his surname. They also had a range of other issues going on. One young person was in the middle of transitioning from being a female to a male. She was 16 already, and uh, GP mental health support had suggested that was the best thing for her. One parent was in support of that, the other parent was not in support of that, and school was somewhere in the middle trying to manage how to best look after this young person. It was complicated, 
And I didn't have the answers. No one was asking me anyway, but I didn't have the answers for her whole situation. But what I did have was four hours a week to show kindness to her in lessons. Um, I, I knew God had placed uh, this young lady who's becoming a man in my class for a reason. I felt prompted that I should pray for them. And each day as I drove to him from school, I cried out to God for wisdom and for ideas about how to support her. Most days I had really specific guidance from the Holy Spirit, which ranged from, let them sit at the back today, that's all they can handle, to make sure you make eye contact with them today, they need that sense of value, to bring in Hero's chocolates today, I didn't know that day was her birthday, but it meant a lot to her. I didn't do anything really extraordinary, I simply tried to show that person that they had some value. At the end of the year, as the pupils were saying their goodbyes, this young person came to say thank you to me. They said this, I'm not a Christian or anything, but I can't explain it. You've been like Jesus to me this year. Isn't God good? Isn't he so much bigger than the things that we look at and think, well, that's difficult. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And I think these verses in Genesis take us back to he created every single one of us. And every one of us in this room can take part in renewing and restoring our very confused and broken world. Okay. Halfway through, let's look at the verse in Genesis 2, please. Okay, so um, back to the creation of the um, woman now. Then the Lord formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. Then the Lord said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he'd taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. There's lots that could be said. I'm just going to focus in on three uh, words, formed, breathed, and made. And then on the phrase, a helper fit for him. Um, in this account, the three verbs to show how God created are different. Formed and breathed and made each carry different connotations. The first word in verse 7 there is formed. It's highlighted there in yellow. Yeah, the Lord God formed him. That word in the Hebrew has connotations of a skilled craftsman at work like a potter. And it has the idea that God is firmly in control when he's creating humanity. He gathers up what he needs and he makes us. And I think it suggests a sort of pride and a delight in what he's doing. I brought along Gus the fish for his second outing. The person who created this should not be proud of this. This is awful. Thank you. That's it. That's his only purpose. But I think this the idea that God formed us, he knows what he was doing. Okay, secondly, he breathed. I love this part. When we hear that God breathed life into us, it's a totally different dynamic. If you imagine someone delivering mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation, it's extremely personal and intimate and close. And what's more, the word for breath here is not the word that's used throughout the Bible to mean wind or just general animals breathing. It's a special word. I don't fucking say it. It's a Hebrew word, nasama, nasama, something like that. In the Old Testament, guess who gets that breath? God and us. That's it. No one else gets that breath. So when it says he breathed life into him, it's a special, unique gift for us, humanity. I can see I'm the only person in the room who's really excited about this. I'm excited about it. Only we get that divine breath. I think that's pretty spectacular. Verse 22, the Lord makes a woman. Best moment in history. <laughs> yes. um, the word translated made here actually is more literally built. 
And the verb built, a bit like formed, implies God knew what he was doing. He was designing and carefully crafting and creating. Eve is made by a creative divine act, just like you and just like me. How can we doubt our own value when we consider our Father carefully crafting us and giving us the gift of divine breath? Finally, I've left the best bit till last. This verse, which has been misused throughout church history to suppress women and bring division between men and women, says, he, looked, he made a helper fit for him. So the good news is both of those, both parts of that verse are translated incorrectly into English. So I think I've put on the next slide, there we go. I'm not very good with the old Hebrew, but <laughs> I think it's Eza Konegdo. I think that's right. So Eza, which we translate as helper, literally means help from a strong or even stronger one. I'm not making it up, this dude said it. <laughs> Victor P. Hamilton <laughs> said that. The word that's translated helper here is often used for God. Like, oh God, please help me. It's that kind of help. It's like, I can't do it on my own, I need some strength kind of help. Not stay at home and make the lasagna kind of help. <laughs> that's not in there. And then the other word, Connecto, I'm, I'm sure I'm saying it all wrong, really means, according to this dude as well, eminent or important. So the really bad English translation of a helper fit for him doesn't really at all contain the idea. Really, it should be a strong helper who matches him in importance or a stronger helper who matches him in Discuss. Anyway, I did check because I thought, oh, I hope I'm not just making the Bible mean what I hoped it mean. All three of these dudes agree on that. Who knew? So, there's no sense of inferiority or subordination or servitude. It's not there in the original text. Um, this bloke, what's he called? Derek Kidner. He says, um, woman is presented wholly as partner and counterpart, the very stuff of him. She is completely equal to him. She is completely valuable as she is. Okay, so um, the image of the divine is reflected by both men and women, and maybe a bit more by women because we're a bit stronger. <laughs> In a moment, I'm going to hand over to Gradrian. It's taken me ages to think of that nickname. I thought it was quite good, Gradrian. Um, <clears throat> before I do so, I just want to pause and be honest. The material we've looked at is so easy for me to read the books and write it down and present it to you, and it's unbelievably hard for me to believe it myself. So I'm preaching to myself as much as to anyone else when I say that we're all valued. Um, I've walked with the Lord since I was 14, which is nearly 30 years, and I still grapple a lot of the time with this stuff. But I have known breakthrough, and I want to end by asking that whilst we sort out microphones, that everyone takes a moment just to reflect on what does help you to know that you are valuable and valued by the creator of the universe. For me, it's worship always, sharing honesty, prayer, reading the Bible, and actually, truthfully, preaching to you guys that I believe this helps me to believe it. So thank you so much for being part of my understanding this morning. Okay, where Lucy has landed us in terms of value, I want to look at how, through this Genesis story, it points us to our identity. 
Uh, and how we need to understand that what we're looking at this in terms of home is for us to understand when we come together, it should produce for anyone who comes amongst us that understanding they're valued and that call to find their identity, as well as for every single one of us who feel like this is home, that it's doing that in us. And I want to start actually by recommending another book, uh, as Luce did one, I thought I'd better do one. As I'm going to recommend this, it's quite off the press, In His Image by Jen Wilkin, which is excellent. And I'm going to actually use a story that she tells in a moment. But before I do that, I've asked Joe just to give it out. He's going to give it out to someone uh, as it goes out. Now, in it, Jen tells this story. She says, wandering through an antique store 15 years ago, I came across a small, pleasantly shaped ceramic green vase. Green is my favorite color, so I decided to purchase it for its asking price of $10. Turning over, I found the name McCoy in upraised letters on its base. A little research revealed I had made a good purchase. My little McCoy pottery vase was worth four times what I paid it, paid for it, but I loved it simply because it brought me pleasure to see it filled with flowers from my garden, perched on my entryway table, form and function in harmony, but 15 years ago, I had four small children living in my home. One fateful day, my little vase found its way onto the tiled floor. It shattered, though not completely beyond repair. Sadly, than I wanted to admit, I pieced it back together with superglue. But its days of holding water in my living room it's, uh, were gone. It still says McCoy on the bottom and still holds a form that declares its beauty and purpose. But its ability to do what it was created to do is now limited. And the closer you stand to it, the more evident its cracks. I couldn't get $10 for it today if I tried, but I still love it, broken or not. You see, we are like that cracked vase in some important ways. God created humankind and stamped us with his mark. He created us to bear his image, to be his representatives in our working and playing and worship, form and function in harmony, even after the shattering catastrophe of Genesis 3, we still bear his image, though we no longer work, play, or worship as we were intended to. We still hold value to him, every human life. We're cracked vessels, designed to display beauty, but leaking at every crack. But God redeems his image bearers by sending his son to be the perfect image bearer. See, the reality of this is that God has placed value in humanity. And through it, we see that in Genesis 1 and 2, but we know Genesis 3 is coming, and we know that we live in Genesis 3 now, where humanity decide that actually maybe they should look inside of themselves than rather to God to find value and identity. And in humanity, in Genesis 3, looking within to say, maybe I can define who I am and how much I'm worth, it breaks everything. And we live in respect to that brokenness now. And I can dress it up in lots of different ways, but the reality is this, is just as with our value, we're never going to find it searching the depths of who we are. It's the same is true with our identity. The reality is that we are cracked vases. And our identity isn't found deep within, but again is found outside of ourselves. It's found in one who comes to truly bear the image of God. So in Colossians 1, 15, Paul describes Jesus like this. Jesus is the Son. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 
We who were made to image God, to reveal the wonder of who he is, to live honoring him, then live broken through our decisions of how we live. God doesn't give up on us, but rather sends himself, his son, to live in a way that would image God perfectly. In order that we'd understand, all right, here's the new creation, here's the new humanity. So that we could find that actually in him is found our greatest purpose of being. See, if we were to then throw up a different verse then and say, actually, this one that says we're not to find our identity in who we are, but rather in who he is, we then find, well, then what does that look like? Well, it looks like this, as Paul writes to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 3, where it says this, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. See, so often we can look at that and say, all right, we're now one in Christ. In other words, we've all got the same value. Yes, that's true. But it's bigger than that. It's deeper than that. It's more profound than that. It's actually that now we each share the same identity. And that identity is Jesus. See, the world around us The desire within us is saying, no, no, I can define who I am. I can produce my identity by looking inwards. And yet what Jesus says is, no, no, I will define who you are. I will give you your identity. And Paul writes then and says, actually, your identity isn't in your gender. It isn't in your race. It isn't in your influence or your affluence. It isn't in your sexuality. It's now in Jesus. Man, I'm not here to say, hey, my identity is one of the privileged ones in this world, because I am. I'm middle-aged and white and I'm male. So in terms of how the world's been wired, I'm top dog. And I can say that, but that's not my identity. My identity isn't in a gray-haired, middle-aged man who happens to be white. No, my identity is I am now in Jesus. Jesus is my identity. And the reality is what happened in Genesis 3 where everything starts to break is that it actually caused that identity to be forged to say, actually, my identity is not only going to be this, it's going to be against that. And so you find that male and female are against each other, but you then see it's then played out in terms of race, in terms of decisions of how people live. Friday, I had the privilege of going with my family to London. And one of the places we wanted to go was the Imperial War Museum because my son's studying history. Now, I think you could call the Imperial War Museum something different. And I'd actually say that probably all of us need to go there. Because I think what the Imperial War Museum is is about is about this. It's a museum to remind us of what happens when we seek to identify ourselves by our own standards. And what happens when we start to say, let's just live in our brokenness? Because it's a museum that just reveals the conflicts that have gone on. And in it, as I walked around, and it's humbling seeing these different parts of the exhibition, and it breaks you of just seeing how much we can stray away from how we were perfectly designed. It caused me to say, man... We so need to get a hold of our identity. It isn't in who we've been wired to be. It's in who Jesus is and what he then says about us. What does it mean then for us to say passport time 
Adrian Hurst, identity, Jesus. What does that look like? I would say it looks like a couple of things. And how is to understand that? Firstly, I think it means that we get to be loved like Jesus. We get to be loved like Jesus. So in John 17, verse 23, Jesus says this about us. He says, Father, addressing the intimacy of the relationship he has. I pray then the world would know that you sent me and have loved them, that's us, even as you have loved me. To share the identity of Jesus means we are now loved by the eternal heavenly father like he has eternally loved his son. That's quite simple to say, isn't it? Eternally loved by the eternal father as he has eternally loved his son. And we can go and we can hear that, can't we? we go, oh yeah, 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 you said that before, yeah, yeah, whatever. No, no, eternally loved by the father who has eternally loved his son, Jesus, that's how he now loves you, that's how he now loves me. The challenge is, are we living in the richness of that identity? Is that, is that what kind of permeates who we are? Is that how we wake up every morning of realizing as the Father has eternally loved the Son, I am now eternally loved. The depth, the breadth, the, the dimensions of that love are now for me, for you. Is that what shapes our identity? I promise you, the more we give ourselves to allowing that identity to shape us, the more it will change how we live in this world. The more ease we find in showing the value to others. As we're not looking for it, we just want to show it. But it's not only just that we're loved like Jesus, we also get to live like Jesus. In Colossians 3, 10, it says this, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, in the image of its creator. See, Paul writes and says, man, as you understand that your identity now is in Jesus, you get to now be part of this new humanity, this new creation, this new way of being that returns you to who you were always created to be, to be those who are now putting on a way of living that reveals the wonder of the image we're to bear of the God that we get to serve. And to do that, we need to understand that it's kind of two parts in it. It's like this putting off and putting on. The putting off is that we get to say, actually, Jesus says, you're the one who reveals my identity. I'm now going to go through the pain barrier of allowing you to unpeel the parts of me that I've said, no, that's my identity. That's where I've camped out. That's where I'm going to allow to define me. And for different ones of us, it'd be different things. We haven't got time to look at the whole of the story, but this is amazing, painful image revealed in C.S. Lewis's writing. In the voyage of the, the dawn treader, it talks about one of the characters, Eustace, who uh, through various plays reveals the character of who he is by going after something he shouldn't have gone for. And it turns him into a dragon. And as he's this scaly dragon that everyone's afraid of, he gets to this point of thinking, I'm going to always be like this. And then God, who's revealed through the stories as Aslan, comes along and puts Eustace back to who he was meant to be. And when Eustace recounts of how this happened, he said, it was painful. As the old hard skin was ripped off. And I got to a point of thinking I'm bare and I'm naked and I'm in pain. 
And he says, then Aslan took me and threw me in the sea. And as I was there splashing around, I suddenly realized I was a boy. And in it, what C.S. Lewis was saying was that sometimes we can allow so many things to define us, to say that's where my identity is. And we find that actually it's that stuff that we have to let go of and it's painful and it hurts. And I'm not going to pretend that it doesn't. But what it does is it returns us to who we were always meant to be. Like for me, I, I lived with fear. And you can think, well, that's not a biggie, is it? No, no, it really was to me. It defined everything about me. I might not have put it on there. It's an Adrian Hurst identity fear. But it did define everything of how I lived, what I sought to be, the decisions I made. And I tell you what, starting to allow Jesus to redefine me, to find my identity in him rather than in fear was painful. The end result was I felt more human than I'd ever be. As I revealed, received and understood of who he is and how he'd made me. But the process of it was painful. And sometimes it's like that. Sometimes there's things that have been our identity. And for us to live in the beauty of who Jesus is, we have to allow him to peel it off. Which is why we do it together and not alone. It's why we allow God to come and to come amongst us and allow the Holy Spirit to come and give us all we need to make the decisions we need to. But also do it within a loving community where others are around us saying, we're for you. We're with you. It's going to be all right. But it's not only putting off, it's also putting on. In that book that I recommended, Jen Wilkins' book on the image of God, she looks at 10 ways we can seek to image God. And we're not going to look at those. They're very good. I'm going to literally kind of simplify it in a true Hurst way. That what we get to do is we get to live as Jesus lived. What did that look like? Well, Jesus lived simply by what? Honoring his father and revealing his father. That's what he did. He honored his father and revealed his father in every interaction he had. Read the gospel accounts. You can't help see it. Everything is because the father said. I do this because it's revealing the father. You have heard it said, yet this is how it is. You thought you knew God. Oh, no, I want to reveal the father. Honoring, revealing. And therefore, we're called to live the same. To live in this identity of Jesus means that we then get to understand, oh, that's our true humanity. To live honoring the Father and revealing the Father in every area of our lives. And the thing is, what it does is it returns us, restores us. That's that word, restore means, it means to be returned. Back to what? Back to what God had designed in Genesis 1 and 2. Because what do you find there? Is this pinnacle of God's creation is there to what? To reveal him and to honor him. So Jesus says, this is your identity, and I put you back as to what you are. Therefore, we get to this point. Home is about value, and it's about identity. We see that in Genesis 1-2. We see it now being played out as Jesus restores what has been lost. But where the rubber hits the road is, like, how are you and I living in this? So here's four questions. Firstly, it's about the inward. It's about who we are as individuals. And the questions are these. Firstly, is how will I live more in the reality of the value God affords me? 
that's all right, isn't it? Let's make it a bit more painful. What stops me knowing this value? What stops me knowing this value? It's that thing. You know that thing you just thought of? And you go, no, no, it can't be that. It's that thing. Next question. How will I live? That should be not love. But we could say love more. Live more in the reality of my identity with Jesus. Do I need to remove anything? That's inward, then outward. Because the reality is this. As we build this home and live in the good of it, it then transforms how we live with anyone who comes amongst us, but also wherever we then are. How will we reveal God's value to others? Like for some of us, we've just suddenly realized, man, this is uncomfortable. Because suddenly I need to look with different eyes on the people around me. Not with judgment or disgust, but of love and seeing God's image. How can I invite others into the identity I know? Surely that's the goal here. Talked about that a couple of weeks ago, that we want to build a world, not a wall. What we're building in the center of our home is a world that is Jesus, where we're inviting everyone and anyone to come and drink of him because we realize that's where identity is found. So where are you at? Where are you at in living in the wonder of this value? In living in the wonder of our identity in Jesus? I just want to give us 10 seconds. That's not long, is it? 10 seconds to consider what is it we need to do next. And then I'm going to pray for us. And then I'm going to invite anyone who wants prayer to come forward. Anyone wants prayer in terms of the understanding of value. And maybe it's just life has thrown you so many things that have made you think that could be true for everyone else, but not me. And today is the day where God wants to come and cause you to know that he fashioned you. That he values you more than you could dare to believe. Maybe it's that you need to come today and say, hey, I've realized I keep looking in to be identified, to to be defined. And I've realized that it will never work. I need to let go. I need to allow Jesus to come with however much pain that may cause me and allow him to define me. And I just want to pray for you as well. So can I pray generally? I've waffled on it. Ten seconds, I promised you. There we go. Just where you are, just want to stand. Just want to pray for us. where you are, just close your eyes, just in a way of getting distracted by others. God, I, I come to you. I come to you humbly and just say what we're addressing in such a short time is so profound. It's profound within the culture we're living in just for us to get hold of, that we're valued and that we have an identity. And God, we want to wrestle with this. We want this to be what defines us. God, I thank you that you have made us with purpose. And Father, we just come and say, as we wrestle with this, as we seek to live in the good of it, we just realize that we live in a world that is crying out for this. And God, I'm sorry for where we've...
God, I'm sorry where we've got it wrong. God, I'm sorry where we as the church, your body on earth, have not shown that value, have not lived out the identity you've given us, Jesus. And God, we want to say, we want to walk more in that, in order that we'd show this hurting world the value and the identity you, lo you long and yearn to give every individual. So Jesus, we just submit ourselves to you and just say, have your way. I just recognize that for some of us, we just, we know we need to respond. I'm not going to ham it up. There's not going to be any music. That's kind of what you should do in it. A bit of music. Everyone feels a bit comfortable. We come up. I'm not hamming it up. This is it. There isn't a lot of space here. We'll make space. I just know for different people, you know you need to respond. And therefore, there's a really brave thing you need to do. You need to move from your seat. And I want you to come to the front. Look, because the front special just makes it easier to pray for people. And if it's you, I, I just encourage you to just come. Don't worry about pushing past people. They're going to just be for you because in this room, remember, this is a home where our deep desire is that everyone would experience that value and identity. So one, two, three, come forward. It's great, man. Keep coming. Let's keep, if we can clear the front rows, that'd be really helpful. Just keep coming. Just feel if we can put some music on so it won't feel as awkward now. Just where we are, just those guys who come forward, I'm going to pray for you in a moment. Just close your eyes. We'll get distracted by others. So I just encourage those of you who are regulars at Oasis, why don't you just come forward and stand with those who've come forward. Guys with guys, girls with girls. Just makes it a bit safer. Just if you're not coming forward to pray with someone, just going to say we're going to end here. So if you've got children, do please go and collect your children as they really want to see you. Uh, if you'd like a drink, feel free to go and grab a drink. We're done now, so we can do it. We're going to now pray for these guys. But thank you so much for coming. Uh, go valued. Go in your identity. <laughs>